0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash genre.
1: Over 180,000 titles to choose from from your iPhone, Android, or Kindle.
0: That's audibletrial.com forward slash G-E-N-R-E. Weirdo Bookworms Unite.
1: We want to share our love of genre fiction with you.
0: Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us.
1: So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading.
0: Welcome to the show. This is Sandra. And this is Scott. So we have a very special treat for you today. We have an author interview.
1: Yes, and we are so excited to share it with you.
0: So this is KK or Christina Perez, who wrote this week's book that we're reading. Uh, We got to talk to her, which is always amazing to get to talk to authors and get to talk to authors whose books we are reviewing. Love that. And she is brilliant.
1: We've had a lot of really smart cookies on this show, but she might be the smartest person I've ever talked to in my entire life
0: right because you feel well i don't know man i mean we've had so many smart cookies it's hard to pick but like she just oozes intelligence but she's also still like really fun and funny like she's not intimidating
1: it doesn't hurt that she's really interested in the same kind of things that we are
0: yes oh my gosh yes so yeah, so we got to talk to Christina. We're gonna review the book, gonna give you a synopsis of the book. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna insert her interview and then we're gonna come back and talk spoilers. So there's a few things in the interview that is kind of spoilery, but not really. I mean, it's really like anything you'd get off the inside flap of the book. Um, Before we get started talking about the episode, I would be amiss to not bring something up that for me has been the elephant in the room since February started, and that is Women in Horror Month. And I love Women in Horror Month. I do. I'm doing a challenge on my personal Instagram where I'm, you know, it's mostly like film related, like different women in horror genres. And there's a little prompt every day. And I love it. I love doing challenges like that. And obviously, like I am a female in horror. So I, you know, it has a huge place in my heart. But this go around because of just different scheduling and ways we had to fit in certain books, we did not do a women in horror focused month. But we will fix that. We actually sometime this year, this calendar year 2019,
1: we will do all female horror writer tbr i i'm excited for that it's hard because we just did all horror in october and we have so many uh, other genres well, to get what to mean, what do you
0: mean just october that was a long time ago you're no. right
1: it was like october and november and half of december Stop it. you're he's being ridiculous
0: i think we all know that there's never too much horror i think we all know that
1: well especially after little heaven two two episodes ago i i'm i'm kind of in that horror kick right now
0: um so anyway so we will we will fix that don't worry sorry it's not going to be fitting in with the rest of the community's women in horror schedule but you know we love to focus on female writers it's you know not something we solely do obviously we read a lot of male writers too but definitely woman writerdom is something we wholly support Um, Oh, and I hope we sound good, guys. We did a little upgrade to some of our tech equipment. So let us know if you hear any differences. Yes. But if they're bad, don't tell us.
1: Yeah, just leave it to yourself. But if if it's an improvement, let us know. Do you have any suggestions?
0: Good, the bad, the ugly. We
1: we will take it. Very excited for the new microphones.
0: Yeah. But don't worry. Mine's still pink. We need to take a picture of these because mine's pink and yours is blue. Yes. And our guest microphone is green.
1: There, Now you have a full visual of what's
0: going on behind the scenes.
1: (laughs) We even have we even have a colored tape on the cables uh-huh. and the stands to mar- to demarcate whose is whose. Yes. Although and I have a green cable plugged into my blue microphone. I
0: did see. notice that I need a longer cable. Which is against the rules. Yeah, my
1: blue cable's too short.
0: And it's not a um a sexist thing. I love hot pink.
1: And I love blue. <laughs> I I mean Come on! <laughs>
0: if we both love blue, we would have had to rock
1: paper scissors for it. Well, we could both have blue.
0: That's true, but I like us having our own.
1: Yeah, but then our logo would be blue, and yeah. you know everything would be blue. I'm blue. Double D, double die.
0: Oh my gosh! I bet a lot of
1: people don't get that reference. I bet Gion. a lot of people get that reference. I'm blue. Double die. die. Okay. So, oh, uh, oh, that's a
0: little sneak preview yeah, sneak. for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Spoiler alert! <laughs> we have a Patreon tier where we sing for you.
1: (laughs) So please don't, don't donate that much.
0: (laughs) Um, yeah, we launched a Patreon actually, and we're going to have that on our website. We're going to have that on social media so you can, you know, see and link to it and all that jazz. But um, after people asking us to do it uh, so graciously and incredibly humbling experience, we decided to go ahead and do a Patreon. And of course, all of the money um, that we are given sounds so crazy that we are. Are we earning it? I don't know. But all the money is going to go directly back into the show.
1: That's all it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Go to new equipment. Go to maybe supporting a little bit more editing time or even more episodes.
0: Yeah. And it's, like I said, it's very humbling. Um, but please, my God, do not feel obligated to um, give us any money. But if you do, thank you. <laughs> we will love you forever. And our tears are actually, I don't know, I think they're pretty fun. So so do take a look. They're, I don't know, it might be worth your while um, for these two nerds to entertain you for your hard-earned money. So speaking of female writers, let's talk about The Tesla Legacy. Let's do it. So this is by K.K. Perez, also known as Christina Perez. Perhaps you've read some of her other work. She also works in fantasy. The Tesla Legacy follows a precocious young scientist named Lucy Phelps, whose fateful encounter in the Tesla suite of the New Yorker Hotel unlocks her dormant electrical powers. As Lucy struggles to understand her new abilities through scientific experimentation, she is thrust into a centuries-old battle between rival alchemical societies. Let's leave it at that. There's a little bit more, but I'm going to leave it at that. Um, anyway, let's, let's talk about the book. First of all, let's talk about it in kind of broad terms. Nikola Tesla. He's hot right now. He's yeah. been hot
1: for a few years. He's been hot for almost a decade, really.
0: Yeah, ever since the... Well, I don't remember exactly when the Prestige movie came out. Good movie. And of course, David David Bowie played him. My first love, David Bowie, uh, played Tesla. And that's definitely who I picture in my head when I think of Tesla. Now, are you a big... Tesla fan, Scott. As a sciency dude, not that I'm not sciency, but he's the sciency one.
1: Um, I'm not going to say that I'm a I'm a huge fan. I'm I'm not part of the the Tesla crowd or anything. <laughs> I think that it's fascinating to know that you know tesla died destitute yeah but i mean i i'm more interested in his inventions than i am the person really I, mm-hmm. i've never really got into that
0: yeah i mean i think he's really cool my dad's always been a big fan of him so i kind of grew up knowing a little bit about him and everything um and he is a very interesting figure i think it's really cool how much a part of pop culture he's become and that people are super super into him Yeah. So I think it's really cool that he's uh, become such a part of pop culture and people are super into him. (laughs) There's another thing about this book. That would be the alchemist, the alchemy side of it. Oh, now, yeah. Now, for those who don't know, I love learning about alchemy. I love learning about the hermetic arts. Um, I love learning about the occult. And, you know, alchemy is one of those things that is, it's early science, but it also had like a lot of magic to it. And I, I just, I don't know, that sums me up like as a person. I'm super into science. I believe in science. But I also need a little magic, yeah. So anyway, I love love learning about alchemy. I love reading anything that has to do with alchemy. I love it when there's alchemy in movies. Alchemy, alchemy, alchemy.
1: <laughs> so uh, we should we should go into our experiences with the book.
0: Okay. Um, for me. This book, uh, is one of those where it's very hard for me to pick an exact path, but I'm somewhere between a good read and a page-turner.
1: Okay. Do you think it switched back and forth throughout the book, or just you're um, not quite no, sure? No,
0: it, it, it gradually, um, not gradually, but it, it, by the last few acts of the book, it was page-turner for me, and it wasn't that I was not enjoying the book, I mean, not enjoying the book, <laughs> and not turning the pages rapidly, um, at the beginning, but, um, you know what? It, I think we all know. I'm I'm the horror. I'm the horror gal on this, and you love horror too.
1: I I have come to enjoy horror.
0: Um, we both love fantasy. Yes, that's our overlap, and you're more of our science fiction person.
1: I would say that all of that is completely fair. Yeah. Yes,
0: so even though I do like science fiction, we read quite a bit of it, um, I, you know, was not a dyed-in-the-wool science fiction reader. Like, I grew up with my Michael Crichton, a little bit of Animorphs till it scarred me, and uh, my Young Jedi books. And other than that, sci-fi didn't really play a big role in my life. For me, it is... it's really difficult to make a sci-fi book an obsession for me and an absolute dedicated page turner. That's just going to be tough for me.
1: I, I think that that's fair, but I find it interesting that you had trouble with this on a science fiction level because I really felt that this read a lot more like fantasy to me. I don't want to say I had trouble with it. There was no trouble. There was no trouble. Well, yeah, I'm just saying... I enjoyed it. I I really, really
0: liked this book.
1: It's definitely approached from a scientific angle, but it is kind of a fantastical setting. I didn't get science fiction from this. The only real science fiction that I got from this book was the scientific approach that Lucy takes to everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. And, And yes, her powers are explained in a way that, while scientifically impossible, are explained to be reasonable scientifically. Yes, um, its approach is not something that oh, it's it's something that's that's a magical power. It is a innately science
0: uh, like there's like a biological thing yes. happening,
1: but the unreality of it and and the. Um, the realism of the world everything else was very real but it read more mm. like a like a like a modern fantasy to me
0: okay okay so where was your experience then
1: okay well my experience was page turner oh good I, i'm glad i really liked the book i i really liked lucy i think yes. she's a great protagonist me too i also really appreciate books like this ya that's really more honest about YA relationships both with their peers and with parents yes and I really just got sucked into that
0: oh no me too no and again I don't mean to make it seem like I didn't like this book I did like this book it's just sci-fi and I have we just have a different relationship where it's difficult for sci-fi to be a page turner for me that's just what I'm saying but um i really really liked the writing this book i agree i really liked lucy this is another heroine who's super smart super capable um still young doesn't you know not like creepily wise beyond her (laughs) years or anything and i like her relationships with her love interests i really like her relationship with her best friend.
1: Yeah, her relationship with Claude's. Claudia E. yeah, is such a great female relationship. It's a great relationship, period. Yeah. Their friendship is just very refreshing.
0: It's very refreshing. Um, It's cool. Uh, Diversity representation in this book, too, is Claudia um, is interested in her same gender for relationships. They don't exactly put a label on it, but she's uh, basically like a lesbian is kind of what we gather from it.
1: I love that it didn't come as just like a big reveal or anything. It was just...
0: Yeah, and it doesn't need a label or anything like that. But um, no, she's just interested in her same gender. And that's probably just the way it's always been. It doesn't bother Lucy. It doesn't seem to bother anybody else in their friend group or anyone else in the school. It's just she is who she is. There's also some cool um, diversity representation a little later in the book uh, when we meet Ravi, who is from England, but he is... um, not white. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> he's just—he's not white, and it's nice and refreshing <laughs> to have diverse characters. And not everybody is lightly, you know, tan skin with sandy blonde hair and blue eyes. Like Ravi's a fun character. He's a super great character. And he's
1: very complicated. He's very caring, but he's obviously has a you know a little bit of a little bit of a secret past sort of thing going right. on.
0: But he's really funny, and he's like super nerdy. Yes, and he's like. He's a little bit self-deprecating, but not really. And he has a, a really, you know, good heart. He's just a good dude. He's a very um, crush-worthy character to be crushing on. <laughs> I also agree. I liked her parents. Um, I like the way they were written. I like the way they were presented. I liked her relationship to her parents, where it's complicated. Their relationship is complicated. They're not mean, but they're defensive. They've always done what they believe is in their best interest, but it has stilted their relationship some. And that's also refreshing to read about that, you know, she's doesn't come from like a completely, you know, broken home, but she also doesn't come from like some sort of idealistic version of what, you know, parents should be to their kid.
1: Yeah. She has two parents that care about her deeply, care about her in many ways too much. Yeah. And they're way overprotective. And so that really does put a schism into their relationship Mm -hmm. add on to the fact that her father's you know, away from home often and her mother's a little bit cold. Those are things that that a lot of people can really relate to, but they're still a loving family.
0: Right, right. Um, I also liked that when we meet Lucy, um, she's epileptic too. When I was in high school, um, one of my best friends was epileptic. And uh, it's interesting always to see like what that means to a character and how they interact with their family and their friends. And... I found this to be, you know, kind of true to my own experience with an epileptic best friend that, you know, kind of like Claude's and Cole, her boyfriend. I'm like, you know, I'm cautious. I'm like looking out for you. But at the same time, you're not made of glass and you're not like, oh, we can't, you know, we have to be so sensitive and so genteel around her or anything like that. Like she's just a person... But living with something different
1: and her epilepsy is presented as a framing it is a part of her character but it is not a it is not what defines her not at all it has defined some of her relationships with people in the past and present yeah but it is not who she is no
0: and um she's very confident and strong in who she is uh very refreshing and she can be quite funny I found a lot of her inner dialogue to be really cute also she's 18. And she is sexually active. And that's also nice to see in a lot of young adult, new adult books. You know, how a character who's young deals with having adult relationships.
1: That's kind of what I meant when I said earlier that I was excited to read a book that was about real YA relationships. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's, I I knew where you were going with that. (laughs) I
1: get the impression that she was made to be 18 as kind of a safety net. Sure. Because the relationships that, the, that she has, it's not to say yeah. that any of her relationships are immature, but they, they're they not unique to an, a new adult.
0: No, because she's growing and she's learning and she's experiencing life. Um, so as far as appeal goes for this book, I think this is a great book for uh, younger fans getting into sci-fi maybe if you do have kind of a like you like some superhero kind of vibes if you're into that if you're into contemporary sci-fi i think you would dig this i'm going to say it's a broad appeal book for sure um there's nothing niche about it i think it, it's a well-written well-crafted story written by a very smart cool lady who wants to share this story and empower females
1: i agree this is this book is broad appeal uh if you're looking for a female lead character with uh superpower threads that are approached with the scientific method and a really really smart set of characters this is the book for you Mm -hmm. it's just it's a good book yeah
0: it's a good it's a good book, people, and you need to read it and support women writing cool, good books, especially science-y books.
1: So, all right, let's uh let's jump into the interview with KK Perez, and after that, Yay. the spoiler section. <laughs> Today we have the wonderful Christina Perez, also known as K.K. Perez, author of many books and articles. (laughs) But today we're talking about the Tesla legacy. Hi, Christina.
2: Hey, Ah. Hey, greetings from London. Thanks for having me. Uh,
1: Thank you for being on. Um, Yes, thank you. I I guess I just want to get right into it because we just talked about the name a little bit. Uh, You have other novels published under the name Christina Perez, but you went with KK Perez for Tesla Legacy. What was your motivation for writing under a semi-pseudonym?
2: Well, I guess I sort of wanted to differentiate between my fantasy and also my academic work, because I'm a medievalist. Um, that's my, my academic background. And I have a academic monograph published as Christina Perez, and then um, K.K. Perez, just, just to for my sci-fi. And also it has a legacy as a sort of contemporary sci-fi, whereas the fantasy I write is all very sort of high fantasy. So if you see K.K. Perez on the shelves, you know you're getting sci-fi and probably set in our real world contemporary times. And if you see Christina Perez, and, you know, you're sitting get knights and sorceresses and that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay, no, that's good to know because it's always fun to read when people write in different genres. So it's just nice to know, like,
2: no, that's her. That's the same... Same lady. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's Nora Roberts and J.D. Robb, or Robe, you know, when she does her thrillers and sort of women's fiction. Yeah, sort of like that.
1: (laughs) You're speaking right to Sandra's heart on both of those. I do. I grew
0: up on Nora.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, She's amazing. She's great. I mean, pillar of uh, the literary community. (laughs) Absolutely. How did the idea
0: for the Tesla legacy And for the sake of spoilers, we'll say rich history, come to you.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, so um, I got to sort of, I said that I'm differentiating the medieval from um, the sci-fi, but actually there, it is sort of a bit of a a blend and some, some critics have called it sort of a fantasy sci-fi hybrid, which I think is fair because I, you know, the, the rich history for the Tesla legacy is not only Nikola Tesla, but sort of a lot of the history of science in general. And one of the things I, as a medievalist, always found really, interesting was that sort of science as we know it comes out of alchemy there wasn't differentiation between the two really until quite late sort of in the 18th you know early 19th century so it kind of lent itself well to like well if if nikola tesla is a part of a continuation of something that's kind of thought of as mystical and he has you know a lot of i mean amazing ideas and also some fairly harebrained ideas and so i thought it kind of made sense that he would be a part of perhaps a secret type society. I have a big penchant for secret societies in general. Um so.
0: <laughs> oh, me too. No, I I I think that sums up um a big part of the book really really well. And yeah, I'm a sucker for secret societies or preferably cults.
2: <laughs> yeah, cults are fun like secret societies. I mean, I used to love all those silly 90s movies about skulls and bones and stuff like that. Oh heck yeah. <laughs> oh heck yeah. <laughs> I'm a you know I'm a conspiracy theorist. I you know I, I love all that kind of thing. Me too. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> Shane so, Dawson yeah.
2: is like my god. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So I I kind of wanted to get a little bit of that into it. Of course, I mean who can forget David Bowie as Nikola Tesla and the Prestige? So you know I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a head nod to. I mean he's my my version of ba- Bowie is my version of Tesla in my head really. <laughs>
0: Right? No, he he nailed that role so perfectly. I think he, he'll at least be what I picture when I think of Tesla, too. <laughs>
2: And then, you know, I, I mean, I, um, I always really liked The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and uh, obviously plays a big role in that. So, the, you know, he's he's one of these sort of cultural um, and sort of pop cultural touchstones that kind of keeps uh, popping up in, in things. So I've always had kind of a vague awareness of him. And growing up in New York City, um, you know, I used to walk by the New Yorker Hotel and, mm-hmm. you know, I found out that he had spent the last 10 years of his life living there as sort of a, a a bit of a misanthrope recluse who would like just feed all of the pigeons that would sort of come to his window. And he preferred pigeons to people by the end of his lifetime. (laughs) So he's, yeah, I, I I was always kind of fascinated by him and I started reading some biographies and I watched a really good uh, documentary on Netflix a, a few years back. And so it all started just sort of crystallizing You know, I've always been a huge superhero fan, too. And so I thought, well, what if, um, you know, there's a teenage girl who starts developing kind of electrical and sort of telekinetic type powers, and somehow she's connected to Tesla, but I also wanted her to be a budding scientist. So I kind of described Tesla Legacy as if Bruce Banner were a high school girl. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, because you have a lot of Marvel superheroes who are you know, men who are male scientists who then have something happen to them, like Peter Parker experience, and and they become a superhero. But you don't really see that so much with um, the female superheroes that they're also scientists who are using their brains to try and understand what's happening to them. So that's something that I wanted um, Lucy to do. And obviously that's a big part of the book. Spoiler.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's awesome. And I agree, like Tesla's become this really pop culture figure. You know, you have millennials with like Tesla tattoos and stuff like he holds such fascination he's almost become even though he was a real person he's like sherlock holmes like batman yeah. like something that belongs to the people
2: well i think it's because he's he was sort of an outsider uh, you know he was a bit of a pariah somewhat on purpose and other and uh you know just because of the way he sort of rose in New York society during the Gilded Age and then sort of fell from grace because he, he got a lot of investors like the um, you know the JP Morgans of um, the time to invest in. He really wanted to create man-made lightning. Um, what they really wanted was a super fast telegram cable uh, under the sea to uh, England. Um, and he actually sort of built some of his investors and took a lot of their money and he was really trying to create this man-made lightning that, you know, the photos are fabulous out on, on Long Island um, and when they figured out that he wasn't actually doing what he was supposed to be doing with their money, um, <laughs> he sort of fell from grace. Uh- <laughs> Happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they're, you know, they're just kind of wild stories of his sort of rise from from nothing. You know, he, he's a Serbian immigrant. He went to Paris, started working on electrical light stuff there. He met some guy who was friends with Edison, who said like, oh, yeah, you're a smart chap. Why don't you go to New York and work for Edison? You know, he made all kinds of improvements on Edison's inventions. And Edison got really jealous because alternating current, which we owe to Nikola Tesla, was better and safer than direct current for traveling long distances and. And so um, Edison actually tried to convince – because he already had a lot of investors in, in D.C. by that point. He electrocuted an elephant to try and prove that alternating current was not as safe as D.C. current. Yeah, yes. and, that's, and that's where you get the, the current wars from, right? AC-D.C., and some people just know it as the metal band, but that's what, <laughs> that's, what that's from. <laughs> Leave the so, elephants out of it, sir. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's really crazy, and it's such a fabulous – time, um, in, you know, in, in New York history and, and in American history, um, when all the technological innovation is, is happening, the skyscrapers are going up and you can kind of, you know, feel the, the energy of what it must have been like to be part of that. So being a New Yorker myself, I, you know, I grew up staring at all these skyscrapers and, um, so I wanted to sort of weave bits of that, um, history into, into the Tesla legacy, which I did when Lucy goes to sort of explore these different mysteries, um, in Manhattan.
1: When when I was reading the book, I definitely got a very strong uh, a STEM experience from it, like really science and and. Obviously, Lucy has a really strong STEM background, but it sounds like you really came at it this from a from a historical direction. Yeah, so
2: I mean, I um, so I'm a medievalist uh, by trading My husband, um, his PhDs in quantum physics, and uh, so when we we met as we were PhD students, and he used to sort of have to leave some of our dates to go and babysit the cryostat so it didn't blow up because it was filled <laughs> with nitrogen. Um, <laughs> and so I got to I got to learn a lot about physics over the last sort of sixteen years that we've been together. So I I was also sort of picking his brain um, for a lot of the things that happened in the book. I mean, I I did science through through high school, but then um, in college, I only did um, medieval languages. So when I was coming at this, I was like, okay, well, the history of science stuff that I can research, I understand how to do history. You know, the science stuff I'm a little rusty on, it's been a while. So um, I sort of went back and was reading some, you know, physics textbooks, biology textbooks, and, you know, and then I was also WhatsApping my husband, lots of questions. (laughs) Um, and, and it was something that I, I really wanted to incorporate was actually getting the, the experiments that she does. The, the ones that don't involve her powers are all real experiments. I mean, I don't give all of the ways to all the steps needed to actually replicate them. You can find that on YouTube because I didn't want to get sued if somebody like blew up their garage. Um, But, um, but, but, you know, like when she makes the voltaic pile, like that's a real thing that you can do and that the high school students do. So I, I wanted to really incorporate the the real science into it, because I was sort of, I really wanted to be a veterinarian for most of my life until high school. And then I had a very sexist biology teacher who really turned me off of science. Oh. And so I kind of yeah. So I kind of regret that. And so I really wanted to have this female, um, you know, high school girl who is really good at science. She knows she's good at science and is using all of her, you know, her scientific knowledge, her the scientific method um, to to try and figure out what is what is going on with her. So, yeah. So uh, it's very pro pro women in STEM. That's a very important message um, of the book.
0: Ooh, we love that. We we love that a lot. And, you know, thanks for sharing some of that stuff about, you know, what you experienced, because it can be really tough for females in a lot of fields. And sure. um, yeah, and Lucy is such a wonderful character, too. I found her so likable.
2: Yeah, I mean, she's she's great. It's, you know, it's funny because um, the, the science stuff was not necessarily you know, my my expertise, but her sort of um, determination and her stubbornness. That, that is that is kind of me. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> There's a strong theme of independence and ownership of self in the book. And you can see that present from the start. Or or was that actually something you developed as you wrote it? Or, you know, did did you already know Lucy?
2: <laughs> I mean, I think that I I definitely knew who she was, um, I'm pretty, um, you know, I'm definitely a plotter versus a pantser. I also do like meticulous character notes and mood boards and the whole thing before I get started on writing any novel. But um, she was also, she's partially based on my niece, who's um, turning 18 in in a month or two. And my niece has grown up with epilepsy. And um, so I've sort of seen that journey with her. And I talked to her a lot about what she wanted to see about A teenage girl with epilepsy. And what she said was that she just wanted to see a teenage girl who had epilepsy. And that was just part of who she was, but it wasn't her identity. And it didn't stop her from doing anything. And that's just the way she lives her life. And that's what she wanted to see in a book. And she hadn't seen that yet. So I, you know, I kept that very much in mind while I was writing.
0: Oh, that's really sweet. We've got a couple nieces and nephews. So we're, we're really (laughs) into that. That's that speaks to our hearts.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's funny, because like, I've, i have um I've known her, like she's my husband's uh, niece, but she was two when we got together and she's about to graduate from high school now, which is terrifying. Yes. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to... You know, I've seen the way it's affected her life in different ways, and you know, I I have a different kind of chronic condition, and I just wanted to show that it doesn't stop you from doing anything, but sometimes it just requires having some adjustments. And also, I wanted to be wary um, of like the sort of magical disability trap, which mm-hmm. um, happens a lot in YA, where. Somebody discovers that, you know, they have a superpower and then suddenly this disability just vanishes and, and, you know, it wasn't a disability after all. And so for me that, you know, I think you've you've read the Tesla legacy, you know, that doesn't happen. Certain things change, but it's not a cure all because, you know, that I felt would be very disrespectful to people living with a condition saying like, well, no, you have to wave a magic wand and now it's gone. You know, like there's nothing wrong with living with that condition when there isn't.
0: No, absolutely. 100% agree. That's a trope that I think every good reader is just really glad to like, just bury it. Let's just be done with that horribleness.
2: (laughs) So yeah, so there are a lot of things that kind of pulled together in the creation of of Lucy as a character. So I'm I'm glad that you like her.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Christina, you've written a lot. Uh, I mean, newspapers, (laughs) magazines, fiction, nonfiction, never mind. I mean, how much you must have had to write on your way to getting your PhD.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <But> a lot.
1: <laughs> what was the start of it? What's the first thing that you remember writing?
2: I actually, I think my first little story, and I, I still have a copy of it because my parents were retiring a couple of years ago, so I had to go back home and look through all of my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote a little picture book, I think when I was in sort of maybe second or third grade, about a time-traveling stamp. Yeah. And and actually, it's funny because it sort of it sort of ties into the Tesla legacy in that uh, the time traveling stamp had originally belonged to Benjamin Franklin. And he was in Benjamin Franklin's pocket when he was doing his kite and lightning experiment. And somehow that brought him to life and he developed time traveling abilities and was no longer just a regular stamp.
0: Uh, oh my god, that is precious! I want this story. <laughs> I know I want this book.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, I my agent's probably be like, you shouldn't have set, mentioned that on the podcast. I want you to write that as a picture. <laughs> 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 but so I think that was the that was the first like sort of story I remember writing, and then I remember another one around the same time about cats who were the sort of protectors of the Hermitage Museum oh. in Russia. <laughs>
0: Oh that's wonderful.
2: We're trying to like stop the art thieves from um stealing the art during the Russian Revolution. Oh my god. Now, that's a Disney movie waiting to happen. I was like a very kind of weird little kid.
0: (laughs) You had a lot of uh, kind of like a magical realism vibe a little bit as a child.
2: Yeah, I think so. And maybe it's because my dad's from Argentina. So that's sort of part of our our cultural background. But um, yeah,
0: (laughs) that's right. That's right. (laughs) You know, I have a a sort of side question. I mean, obviously, we're talking about the amazing Tesla Legacy. We're going to cover that on our show, but I just really want to pick your brain a little bit about being a medievalist because it's maybe (laughs) the coolest job title ever Um, (laughs) and you write um you know these fantasy high fantasy kind of historical fiction-ish things so can you just talk to us a little bit about that for all of us nerds that um want to hear a little bit about it
2: Sure, I mean, so I guess um, like a lot of children or especially um, women in the 80s, uh, I've read The Mists of Avalon and I think when I was about 13 and just fell in love with Morgan Le Fay and all of the Arthurian literature and became really obsessed with it. And I decided that that's what I wanted to study when I went to college, and so I did. And uh, I went to Cambridge here in the UK straight from the US, which is a little unusual. And one thing about the UK system is that you only study your subject? So your major is just the all that you do for three years. So I did Middle Welsh, um, Old Norse, Middle English, Old French, Old Irish. Um, probably forgetting something. Oh, Ossetan. Um, and so I, you know, I learned to to read and translate those languages and to read the art oh. theory material in its original. Um. <laughs>
0: oh my god! I'm like
2: drool- we're like
0: drooling. We're like <laughs> tell us more. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so that's kind of what I, what I did. And then I, I stayed with it um, for, for graduate work. And then I, I, because I still love Morgan Le Fay so much, I wrote my PhD thesis on her. So you can ask me anything you want about Morgan Le Fay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've, I too read the Mists of Avalon when I was about 13 and it, it changed my life. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, unfortunately, everything that's come out about Marens and oh, Bradley since means it's a bit problematic. But at the yeah, time, absolutely. Yeah. it was, um, you know, very eye opening and, and very, I mean, very second wave feminist. But, you know, it, in the 90s, that was kind of where we were at. And um, as a 13 year old girl, the idea that you could claim your power, that you could topple a kingdom, that you could have magic, that you could be just as um, politically influential as any of the men, that the men could actually be scared of you because you were so powerful. <laughs> you know, it was pretty exciting.
0: Absolutely. I, I think that's what appeals to a lot of us about these figures um, in history and in fiction is these really powerful women. And, and it's like, it's just really beautiful because it, you know, it, there's so many different ways and it's evolved. And now like, for, we even have Lucy. We even have Lucy, yeah. who's this powerful woman, kick-ass uh, superhero. Yeah,
2: I mean, actually, that's So, I, I mean, I make I make sort of fun of myself through the character of Lucy's mom um, <laughs> in the Tesla Legacy. <laughs> The truth comes uh, out. This is the tea. Yes, exactly. You know, when she's sort of studying the the manuscripts or looking for the the cipher and this and that, I spent a lot of time poring over um, illuminated manuscripts. I did paleography and codicology, which is paleography is the study of the scripts and codicology is the study of the actual manuscript production. So, you know, you can date and place uh, where a manuscript was made based on, like, say, the kind of vellum, exactly where the pricks were, where where they were then would bind, bind it together could like tell you which uh, which monastery it was made at all that kind of thing oh my gosh Uh, i have chills this is so (laughs) cool so yeah that's that's me super nerd and um so a lot of stuff that lucy's mom is doing is stuff that i've done and so i am poking fun at myself through lucy's rolling her eyes (laughs) at her mom occasionally
0: (laughs) oh speaking of super nerd and you did kind of mention superheroes a little bit who's Mm -hmm. some of your who's some of your favorites like the top top couple of them
2: I mean, there's this picture of me in Halloween, like I must have been about three or four dressed up as Wonder Woman. <laughs> um, and I, I I, loved Wonder Woman. Um, I, was, I guess I was watching in the 80s and sort of reruns probably from the 70s. But I also really loved the bionic woman. Um, mm. I guess it's not exactly a superhero, but kind of a superhero. And certainly in, in the 80s, that kind of tech seemed, um, you know, like a superpower. Like later, I guess I, I like Storm Quite a lot um from uh the x-men yes um and then i i yeah so i i have a i have a wide variety of um of superhero women that i like i'm very excited to see the captain marvel movie um in a couple weeks
0: Ooh, oh yeah. yeah that's
2: gonna be fabulous <laughs> and
0: that sounds just like so in your wheelhouse too <laughs>
2: Yeah, it comes out the same week as um as Tesla. So I was like, yes, you know, awesome superwoman, you know, super female superhero and Tesla in the same week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
1: I have to know, what does your personal library look like? Because I'm I'm picturing <laughs> oak hewn shelves with,
0: with, with like yeah, tomes yeah. bound tomes, but then also like a comic book yeah
2: <laughs> yeah well that you're not far off actually it's funny because um, my husband and I spent most of today reorganizing um, our bookshelves because we moved a couple months ago and I've been watching the Mary Kondo thing on Netflix <laughs> 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 so we got all the books down this morning and we like just finished about an hour ago <laughs> um, <laughs> so I have uh, I now have one bookcase that's just all of my Arthurian literature. And then I have another bookcase that is sort of medieval non-Arthurian. I'm also a big vampire fan. I teach vampire literature as well. So I have a huge vampire literature uh, bookshelf. (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
0: hold Hold on. Yeah, time out, time out, flag on the play. Um, (laughs) We love vampires.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, they're so awesome, right? I mean, they're undead for a reason. (laughs)
1: Have you ever thought about hosting your own podcast?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I haven't, but maybe I will. (laughs)
0: Because I think you've got a lot to, you've got a lot of subjects you could cover here for everybody.
2: Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, it's all kind of connected generally sort of magical medieval women. I got in, I mean, I always loved um, vampires, but I, I actually got into some of it more academically because there are sort of similar sources uh, for Morgan Le Fay as for um, sort of female vampires. Because, well, I mean, if you want to, like, go deep dive, like, way, way back, like, it all goes back to the sort of Indo-European migrations of three to 4,000 B.C., which is why you have, um, you know, similar mythology from Hindu mythology to old Irish mythology, why the word in Sanskrit for priest is very similar to the old Irish word for priest, because it comes from this proto-Indo-European language, which is now being reconstructed by scholars. So... Um, you know, any any kind of female figure that is sort of powerful that involves sort of sucking of life force or of blood, um, you know, which is a similar, which is obviously a metaphor for life force, um, you know, you, you find often that you have similar roots for them, and so, and and similarly it gets sort of conflated with excesses of water, so, you know, you, you take your siren, you take your sort of female vampire or lamia, as they called it in sort of Greek and Roman times, and you find they're actually some of the um, origins for or sort of femme fatale sorceresses later on as well
1: okay. well okay this has been the last episode of genre junkies starting right now <laughs> badass <laughs> women of history featuring Christina Perez <laughs> just keep going
0: I know oh my gosh I like we are eating this up with a spoon um I have a ridiculously big crush on you now uh it's a whole thing it's a whole thing it's a whole Excellent. thing <laughs>
2: So, so Morgan Le Fay is probably her name. Well, she's probably a Celtic sovereignty goddess and a sort of amalgamation of some of the uh, the Celtic war goddesses, one being Morrigan. Um, And more is can either be great or sea and Regan, uh, meaning queen in Old Irish. So there are a lot of there's a lot of folklore and and myths that sort of show that she has this relationship with the sea. Probably she was in some in some periods like a, a mermaid type. Figure. I mean, Morrigan is actually the the goddess herself, is the sister to a couple of the sea goddesses like Liban, who eventually gets turned into this mermaid saint when they start Christianizing stuff. And, you know, in this idea of men being sort of pulled down into the depths, which of course can be seen as like a womb, um, you know, by a mermaid, you can kind of see how the sort of sirens and, and vampiric figures. And basically, you know, too long didn't read like women suck the life force from men. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and we're still doing it today <laughs>
2: <laughs> like you know um, female sorceresses which is uh, you know nymphs female vampires mermaids you know they're perennially popular because men are perennially afraid of powerful women basically
0: absolutely oh, it all comes so full circle it's so yeah. you know it's so so trite to say but it's like we can just learn so much from the past and how we got here
2: well, I mean, I I think that's very much true. I mean, it's one of the things I I like about um, being a medievalist. Sometimes people say, "Oh, well, don't you don't you feel so disconnected from your material?" I mean, it seems like such a long time ago, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, no, because actually, if you read the stories, like pretty much like human psychology hasn't changed that much.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, we
2: are sort of treading the same things over and over again. If you look at all the different Arthurian women, they're all just sort of. um, Templates for you know you've got Guinevere who's the adulteress you've got Morgan who's the sort of power-seeking harpy you know then you've got like Elaine or the Lady Shalott who's like the heartbroken jilted one but actually she's kind of better and you know and we see these um these tropes um just being regurgitated at us in in soap operas and um you know CW dramas all the time
0: <laughs> it's it's really true I mean that's a part of what when I was a youngling like uh, helped me love history is when you realize that people are people and they always have been and really not all that different as as we go along
2: well no and i mean you know unfortunately i think we see now more than ever that um you know, politically speaking, it still is all about um, cult of personality. You know, when Henry VIII was doing his thing and decided to create a whole new church because he wanted to sleep with somebody who wasn't his wife. You know, <laughs> basically, and there you go, you get you know Protestantism. Um, <laughs>
0: Just and, add water and stir.
2: Yeah, and you know, a couple of religious wars, but hey, who's counting? <laughs> um, but you know, and now and now we see that politics is very much—it's it always has been um just as sort of personality driven as it was in the Middle Ages. So when people say, like, Oh, don't you think we've evolved so much further and I'm like, Nope, not really, no.
0: <laughs> nope, nope. The facts point to no. <laughs> Okay, Christina, I guess um, we're going to have to wrap this up, um, unfortunately, because, I mean, you probably have a life and, like, a
1: husband and things you want to do. And if we go any longer, we I- I'm not joking, this will become your podcast. <laughs> right. you are- yeah.
0: We're, like, right now Googling flights to London
2: and, like, <laughs>
1: going to camp outside your house. I'm brainstorming titles for your show. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, well, I'll have to like pick your brains about it. Maybe, maybe a podcast is something I could think about.
0: <laughs> yes. So, where can our listeners find you on the internet? Are you touring for Tesla Legacy?
2: Yeah, so I'm. I'm actually going to be kind of all over the place. I am coming um, to the East Coast in March. Um, I'm going to be doing an event on March 20th at One More Page Books in Arlington, which is in the greater DC area with. Um, Catherine Locke and Jessica Spottiswood, who also write excellent um, YA sci-fi and fantasy. Um, Then I'll be at the Virginia Festival of the Book on the 23rd of March. I'll be participating in the New York Teen Author Festival on the 25th of March. And I'll be doing my New York launch at the Barnes & Noble Upper West Side for Tesla with um, Cass Morgan and Sarah Holland. Um, So that's going to be a really exciting, fun night. Oh, wow. That sounds like so much fun. That's
1: really exciting.
2: And if you have any listeners um, on this side of the pond, um, I'm going to be at the Chimera Festival in Scotland, uh, June 7th to 9th, which is the um, inaugural Scottish sci-fi fantasy and horror festival in Edinburgh, which should be a really good time. They're going to be having over 70 authors there and it's going to be really fun. And then I'll be at edge lit in Derby as well in July and probably some more places that I don't know about yet. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah! Everybody, go support that festival, the Chimera Festival, because we would really like to attend that sometime.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's. I'm really excited. Um, Laura Lamb is one of the founders and organizers this year. She writes um, really excellent YA and and adult um, sci-fi as well. And I and I've looked at the lineup. There's Samantha Shannon, V. Schwab, like all kinds of people are going to be there. It's going to be a really fun weekend.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your all of your books and your <laughs> studies and your knowledge to, to t- come talk with us today. Thank it's you. been great.
2: Yeah, no, I had a great time.
0: Okay, welcome back to the spoiler section. Spoilers! So, this book, it really is, and as Christina says in the interview, it is a superhero origin story and that's really cool i like that that's um puts it in a really cool perspective for me like i said i i I enjoyed the whole book but for me it really got page turnery obviously once we start introducing these factions of rival alchemists um I loved that because I don't know who to believe. I think she's on the right path with Doctor T, her grandfather, duh, 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 and Ravi, her boyfriend. I
1: don't think any of them are on the. Ro- I don't think any of them are the right path.
0: Well, I mean, they all think they're the right ones, oh, of course. But um, I think that they're not. Uh, I don't think they're gonna damage or hinder her i think she has to decide if she wants to be a hero though like she wants to be like a you know special ops trained agent operative type person and she might not want to (laughs) be
1: She might. And and one of the cool things, one of the cool like little sub themes that I caught from this that I hope is explored more in the next books is she did not let her, she did not let her epilepsy define her. Mm -hmm. So now is she going to let this define her? Right, exactly. Is, Is this something that she really owes anyone to use? Is this something that she owes anyone to hide and suppress? Or is it just something she has and she can go on with her life and still be Lucy.
0: See, that's where it's really hard and that's where it kind of depends how she wants to sort of align herself. And, you know, she's really upset with her parents right now. And, you know, they really think they did the the exact right thing. You can tell they are so resolute, like, in their belief. But it's like... <laughs> (laughs) how is she going to come to terms with that? I, you know, I don't think of Lucy as the kind to just completely cut them out of her life completely now, but she has to decide how she's going to pursue this relationship where they want her to be something fundamentally not who she
1: is. What did you think about the big reveal at the end with her parents?
0: Um, I really liked it. I, you know, I can't, I have feeling, I have feeling, um, but I, I was very like, okay, they both know they're in on it. Now, obviously, they are kind of like, they want people to be safe. And it's it's like, it's like Anna and I'm sorry, it's like Elsa and Frozen, like, conceal, don't feel. That's like what her parents like want her to do and like what they
1: want all the mutants to do. And it's like, but that's not right. I, I liked her parents. Yeah. I mean, you don't see a whole lot of her father, but I liked her parents in the book and I really liked her relationship with her parents. Yes. And obviously, I'm a firm believer of your parents are those who raised you and loved you. I have a problem with it being revealed at, to somebody all along that these aren't your parents, it didn't sit well with me. Really? Yeah, I, it it bothered me. It's because, uh, like I said, it's I get it. Like, there's going to be a whole lot of you know drama that's going to come yeah. from that in the following books. Of are they still my parents? Because they are the ones who la- raised me and loved me. And right, yes, girl, they are. They're still your parents. Well, yeah, and, and, and they love you, and that's all that matters. But I don't, I. Take a personal, this is my own thing. This is not, this is not an overarching view on the book, but I take a personal problem with her finding out at the age of 18 that they're not her parents and that they're going to start killing people to make her do what they want her to do.
0: I, I respect your opinion. Like you said, it's like your own personal thing. I think that's not exactly how I interpreted that at all. They were tasked with raising her they wanted a child as we know they found out they couldn't have one and they raised her in their (laughs) belief system basically um if you kind of want to think of it that way almost like a religion and the thing is is that you can't like do that to people like you have to have transparency with them about like you know we're not your birth family we are your birth family or whatever like so looking at it from lucy as a character's perspective i think it's going to be really complicated Complicated. Like I said, I don't think she's just going to cut these people out of her life but she has to decide and um, come to terms with is it okay that they raised me this way can I forgive this
1: well I think I have faith in Christina that she is going to come to grips with her parents and either accept them as her parents or they're going to die and then she'll accept them as her parents or something like that's <laughs> going to happen I mean come on but uh, and again I, I'm excited for that I do like that kind of thing in a story maybe I should be an adoptee since Sensitivity reader, because <laughs> there's, there's, there's just, I don't know. I feel like I would have handled it better if she knew she was adopted from the start. Yeah, uh, and then you know to find out who her real parents were. Th- there was just something about that that ball drop. Yeah. That just didn't sit true to me.
0: You know, I think that the, the sapient group or whatever their name is, that her parents were a part of, I think that nobody thought this through very well. <laughs> I think they were like, oh, here's a special child. You guys want a child? Okay. Um, handle this. <laughs> and that's like, uh, okay. So they handled it how they thought was best, but it's like,
1: I, I don't think any of y'all thought this through. The other thing that um disappointed me in them not in the writing in the characters- uh-huh. I was disappointed in them that they talk about how much they still love her she's still she's still theirs yeah but they just they they have this possessive quality in them at the end where she's being treated by everyone including her own parents as a as a possession as oh, a belonging yeah. and as a
0: and I would argue that Dr T is kind of doing the same thing, hundred percent. And that the the freelancers like Rick and Jess and stuff. Absolutely, uh, th- yeah. I mean. I- <laughs> At the end of the day, I want Lucy to be happy and healthy because I love her. And I don't know that she needs to be in any of these factions. But at the same time, she does need to understand her powers and what it means to be somebody with these gifts. Um, So she does need to spend some time with these factions to get to know like, okay, so, you know, what does this all mean?
1: Yeah. What is your point of view on this?
0: Right. And And none
1: of them are going to be right.
0: Right. And like, you know, but it's like, obviously, she's not going to spend her life like being chased and used by any of these groups anymore, as she already has been by her parents group. You know, they 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 conceal don't feel her (laughs) um i'm very excited to see where her relationship with ravi goes um i was very happy with the pace and progression of their relationship i thought that it was um nicely handled because like the flirtation didn't bother me even though he's like the teacher's assistant when they meet because she is an adult and it was slow enough and their connections were really genuine when she felt betrayed by him I felt for her. But it's like, you know, he kind of like her parents he took an oath and this is like his you know blood duty basically so it's a foreign concept for her to be like how do I fit into a relationship with this person
1: I thought the way that Christina handled their whole relationship particularly from the beginning was so masterfully done yeah uh, the the fact that she had this this conflict of I have a serious boyfriend and I have a crush on this guy right and it goes from being a very innocent crush to just you know a little bit of flirt like, oh nothing will ever come from this. It's right. uh, to to becoming something more and you know, teaching her something about herself, yada yada yada. I just thought that her whole approach to it was was mm, chef's kiss, perfect.
0: Um, yeah. And I mean, to be fair, her and Cole were drifting apart. Oh, absolutely. Which is something that happens in relationships, and that's something that a lot of people, especially when they're young, have to experience. Um, and I mean, you know, Cole was acting really sketch and he he was doing bad stuff but at the same time you can't completely hate him he is not a villain he's just um a kind of desperate young man, selfish
1: dude yeah yeah
0: exactly like he he just but he he did care about her it wasn't all for you know just to get the grades and stuff he did care about her um and you know like it it's hard to be like i can't hate you because even though you kind of did some messed up stuff we had a genuine connection and i feel like that's really true to not just go like scorched earth <laughs> um yes. i also really loved the scene when her um and ravi like she was pissed at him and she's like meet me at this trailhead you know and she was like kind of stalking around with her arms crossed and like you know i just really liked the way she was treating him like yeah you know i think you're cute and i like you but we're not okay right now (laughs) yeah you you done messed up you done messed up ravi um so i really liked that aspect as well i'm very upset about where she and claude's are right now um i i want them to get back together (laughs) As BFFs?
1: I I don't think there's any chance that they won't.
0: I don't know. Because you know what? Sometimes friendships end. But at the same time, the optimist and the idealist in me says they will. But, I mean, again, from Claudia's perspective, this is a lot. This is a lot. And she just fell in love, like, with Jess, this girl, her first real adult love. And that was based on a lie. Um, thankfully. But now she doesn't
1: remember any of it. I know, but. <sighs> which it makes it worse.
0: Yeah. I, I liked that twist, though.
1: I'm not sure how I liked it. Well, I liked it. I'm still grappling with it now.
0: I liked it because it was like, why can you people all just stop meddling in Lucy's life? Agreed. That's why I liked it because it was like another thing of like, you know, they're all meddling. Everybody's meddling. But she told Ravi, don't do it. And he didn't do it. Yeah. And that shows a respect um, that her parents
1: don't have don't don't
0: have for her exactly because of their uh, belief system basically um yeah i really liken all of this to kind of religion and it makes sense with the fervor with which each faction believes and carries out their missions um like i said i would love to see this as a graphic novel because i think it would just be really beautiful as a way to consume this piece I really, really like Christina's writing. I love the way she writes characters. I love the authenticity I felt, not only with the cool storyline, but really the characters are what sung to me in this book. I liked them. Like I said, I felt I liked them. I didn't like them. They were complicated. There was nobody that I flat out hated. There's nobody that I flat out had utter and complete faith and belief in besides Lucy.
1: Yeah. Um, I can't say it any better than my, better myself. I think that the characters are her strongest trait in this book. Um, I love the whole world. I love the idea. I love the history. But at the end of the day, it's the characters that make it in this.
0: Yeah. And I think that's something that you and I both are as readers. Some people are more plot-driven. Some people are more character-driven. And I think generally you and I are character-driven people.
1: Actually, I tend to be pretty plot driven. I, a lot of the <laughs> books that we've read recently, because a lot of them have been picked by you, have been character driven and I've loved them. But uh, maybe I'll have to pick up some plot driven books to yeah, share. It's, well, it's not like I, show, know,
0: but yeah, I know until you start to read the book and until you finish it, whether it was more plot or character driven.
1: You can kind of tell with the description, you can kind of no, tell with the I dust jacket. I don't
0: think so. No, yeah. like I, no, I don't think that's what it talks true.
1: about the world and it talks about the setting and it talks about. The, or text talks about the technology, that's when you know this is a plot-based book. I, talks, I'm not
0: saying you're you're When it starts wrong. with
1: Meredith was a, then you know it's going to be a character-driven story.
0: No, I don't think that's true at all. I mean, okay, I'm not saying you're always wrong, but I don't think it's always as apparent because there's a lot of- I'm re- just
1: usually wrong? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, no, I'm, I'm very I, often wrong?
0: No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like there are readers out there who will pick up a book and they only like plot driven books. Yeah, I agree. They only yeah. like character driven books. And so when they read a book that's their opposite, they're like, "Oh, I didn't like this book," or you know, mm, "I didn't really like it that much." And it's like, I don't think you always know until you get all the way through the book which way it's gonna be.
1: That's. I mean, that's fair. I'm. I'm being reductive on purpose.
0: Yes, and it makes, on me wanna, purpose it makes me want to make
1: to, like, to make jokes and laugh. <laughs> I
0: I'm gonna send the cat over there to bat at your
1: microphone. Just play with, play, play in the space with me. Play with <laughs> me.
0: I am, but I'm saying like it's it's interesting. I almost want to keep score now going for, we should have done this from the beginning. Is this a plot-driven book or
1: is this a character-driven book? I can really only think of two plot-driven books that we've read.
0: I'd have to really look back at it, um, to be honest. But I think it, it would be interesting to make that a conscious focus of our reading. Is this plot-driven or is this character-driven? And how did that work for us?
1: I would love to add that into our uh our discussion.
0: Stitches, take a note. <laughs> So let it be
1: written. So let it be done.
0: Uh, let's score this on bronze
1: eggs. The Tesla eggs. Oh, egg. yeah. Okay. Tesla eggs. Yes. Bronze eggs. Bronze eggs.
0: Uh, I'm going to give this three bronze eggs out of five bronze eggs. Um, As we talked about, there was way, way more that I liked Um, in this book. It, I can't find a whole lot of fault with it. I'm super excited to read more of Christina's books, fantasy or sci-fi. I'm excited to see where Lucy's going to go, where this journey takes her. It's just my relationship with sci-fi makes it really difficult for me to push sci-fi books to the highest possible score. But the fact that I really enjoyed it this much is super commendable to the writing. So well done. Here's some shiny bronze, test legs for you.
1: I liked the book a lot as well. I thought it was executed well. Um, I'm giving it three and a half half bronze eggs out of five little, little, little bit more than you.
0: Just half an egg. Um,
1: I thought, you know, we've discussed it all. The characters are really complicated. They're strong. They're interesting. The The setting and the world and the intrigue is all fantastic. I was disappointed by the the result of her parents. And I get that this book was really a foundation for what's to come. Yeah. So it's hard to world score building. it. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to score it, score just a book on the world building alone, but I Every, every group has their own viewpoint and all of them are somewhat presented and all of them are are probably wrong. All of them are, you know, in a lot of ways abhorrent. I wish that I could have seen more positive possibilities from all three of the factions because right now I hate them all. (laughs)
0: I know. I Lucy needs to like find more mutants and just make her own damn faction. Yeah.
1: I mean, the book does such a good job of approaching everything from a logical standpoint. Yes. I wish that I could have seen more pros and cons of all three. And I know that those are going to come in the future. Like this book was very much built around the initiates. So you saw a lot more of their pros and cons in this book. And you'll probably see some more of the freelancers next book or, or whatever. Exactly. And that's probably what this series is built around is showing the different viewpoints. I just wish I could have had a little bit more positivity in the other two divisions.
0: All right, guys, there you have it. What did you think? Obviously, if you've listened all the way through, then you've read this fantastic book. So let us know. Uh, Find us on social media. Send us an email. I don't know. Carrier, pigeon, owl, smoke signal. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. And thank you, everybody. Please keep reading past your bedtime. (laughs)
1: That is ridiculous.
0: It bit me. (laughs) Did it really? Yeah, I was trying to like keep a straight face. You know, Shimmer bites hard, but I touched her (laughs) pounce. That's going. That's going at the end of the
1: episode, by the way. Yeah. Oh my god, she's so cute. She's just like this little now armless lump. (laughs) She's
0: cold. She wants cuddles. We have to turn off the heater to record, and now our little producer is cold. Poor thing. Poor baby.